0: Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Good morning and welcome to Talk Back Gardening on this sunny Saturday and good morning to one of the 50 most influential green leaders in South Australia. According to today's Tizer, Gail sends her congratulations, as do I, John Lamb.
2: Good morning, Deb. (laughs) I wonder who figured that one out.
0: I don't. Well. I don't really know, but you're there. It's you're interesting. There in the top well, 50.
2: there we are. And uh, we're at the stage where spring has almost sprung and there's a lot of excitement out there I know we're going to get a wetter spring than uh, normal but uh, uh, in between the rain we'll have sunshine and the nice thing is the forecasters, Darren Ray in particular saying uh, okay we'll get uh, an occasional burst of heat but we're not going to have the heat waves so I think we're going to be in for some good gardening weather mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to talk very shortly to uh, uh, Philip Smolt uh, about how we can enjoy spring and all the little gadgets and things that can get us going for springtime.
0: I'm looking forward to that. And a little bit later in the program, we'll catch up with Rob Andrew-Arthur, who's chairperson of Open Gardens SA, which is launching its late winter uh, spring season for 2021. This weekend, we'll find out a little bit about the garden that's open today and what you can expect in the season ahead. And, of course, we want your questions. So if you'd love to get into the queue for Talkback Gardening questions, easy. Just call 1300. Triple two eight nine one. jump in the queue right now. We'll come to those questions very shortly. I have an ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away as well. And thank you to Jennifer at Netley on the text line, John says. I picked 180 grams of cherry tomatoes yesterday, 40 up from last week. They were still flowering when I pulled up most of the tomatoes. I've left them and they've continuously been producing since.
2: It's lovely hearing those (laughs) stories and you go green with envy. You do,
0: you do. Well done, Jennifer. Well, let's talk about some of the great home horticultural products that can help gardeners. Yes,
2: Deb, I think one of the great joys of gardening is finding a little gadget or finding a product uh, that makes gardening easier or uh, it's uh, just... uh, uh, having fun in the garden and uh, there are a lot of products out there. The trouble is you can't use them unless you know about them and often there are products which are available to uh, gardeners but they're not readily available in garden centres. So I thought maybe uh, I might talk to a friend and colleague, Philip Smolt. Philip runs a mobile horticultural supply agency, and he's a walking encyclopedia on garden gadgets and garden products and chemicals. So good morning to you, Philip Smolt.
3: Uh, good morning to you too.
2: Yes, and it's a wonder you're up, Philip. You were talking to Succulent Society <laughs> yesterday or last night, wow. I do believe.
3: Yeah, it was a great fun. We, we always have, and that's the, that's the key. Let's have fun gardening.
2: <laughs> uh, listen, yeah. uh, let's take a look at how we can enjoy uh, increase the enjoyment of gardening and I suppose uh, people that love to be able to grow their own plants, and that introduces the world uh, of heating elements. So let's talk a little bit maybe first of all about heating pads. What's a heating pad? How does it work?
3: Okay, heating pads basically uh, uh, electronic um, film that is set uh, at a particular temperature to uh, heat the soil of the plant in previous periods of time and it's still around today. People have used um, heating elements buried in sand or they've used pipe with hot water running through the sand and they heat the sand, then they put their pots and trays on top of that and heat. And, and that, That's fine if you're a big grower, but it's also very expensive uh, to run because of the power usage, heating up uh, the, the sand first before you heat your soil. So nowadays a, a, a home gardener can buy simple heating pads which are generally a foil mat that uh, will uh, not require the sand and they can just put their pots and trays directly on the uh, heat pads and away they go. They can heat up.
2: And uh, I discovered those because you introduced uh, those to me some years ago and basically uh, I've got just a a a little um, uh, material um, thermal material as a base and I'll put the mat on top of that and then put some plastic on top of that and I'm away ready to go.
3: Oh, yes. And and, and just makes so, so much, uh, uh, such a difference to people being able to get started early with their seeds and their cuttings. But uh, one of the keys that is often overlooked, because there are a few heat mats around in the garden centres, is being able to control the temperature and that's very very important because most cultural notes will will mention temperatures between 18 and 25 degrees and most of the non-thermostat controlled units will run around 15 degrees above the air temperature where they are so if you've got a nice sunny spot and it's 15 20 degrees and you add your 15 you're now 35 which is a bit warm for most plants uh, and they normally cut out at 40 so Probably best to try and look around for something with a thermostat on. With
2: a thermostat on. OK, well, I've got mine set on 22 degrees uh, during winter, um, and it's brilliant. It's just got a little sort of lo- like a little piece of wire and you put the wire into a, a, a pot, which is, you know, the, the typical of what you're growing. And, and I can't believe it. I, I've got thermometers stuck all over the place um, for different trials that I'm running. And, and it, it's spot on. It doesn't move. It, it, so on a hot day, it's on 22. On a cold day, it's on 22. It, it But we're talking about something that it's a blanket, isn't it? it and, and you can yes. basically order the size of... <laughs> of the mat according to uh, uh, the size of your, the, say you've got shelving on on an indoor, uh, uh, say a, a greenhouse, and you've got shelving there, and you can sort of get it made up to the size of your shelf.
3: Well, that's true, um, but for most home gardeners, the, the simple single tray, uh, which is about 30 by 30 centimetres or 12 inches square type tray... Um, You can get that in a single or a double size and that will do most people because you can grow hundreds of plants even on a small mat that size uh, because you're not going to keep them on there for their entire growing period. You only want to germinate them to a point where they can survive without the heat and so then you move them on and you can start with another lot. Um, But yes, certainly if you're really keen and you want to go to a bigger area, then we can make up mats uh, to suit the area, uh, and and that's good.
2: All right, so there's the mat, and you've got your plant growing on uh, nice little warm areas, but the soil uh, during winter, uh, the air above it is uh, probably pretty cold. Uh, just talk us a little bit about little propagating units or little uh, lids uh, uh, that you put over your mats to keep the air warm. Yes,
3: yeah, so if you stick to your standard seedling tray, so when you go into your garden centre and you see all those little punnets of uh, uh, seedlings in the garden centre they will be then sitting inside a tray And that tray is what we call a standard seedling tray. So if you think of that size, then you can buy clear tops, which will go over uh, those with little vents in them because during the day, you really do want to have the vents open. You don't want to build up too much condensation inside the unit. Otherwise you can get fungal diseases. So that's the simple way is just to buy the clear tops and put them on top of the trays. And uh, that, that works well. If you've got a bigger area, Um, just buy some greenhouse plastic. You can buy it by the meter. Uh, Unfortunately, not in many garden centres, but they can order it if they want to. But try and stay away from your normal, everyday plastic that you can buy off the meter um, in your hardware store because that breaks down in less than 12 months. But there is good quality greenhouse plastic. And you can make your own little covers to go over them uh, just to keep the wind from blowing and... Uh, reducing the transposition of the off the, um, off the uh, leaves,
2: all right, so there's uh, the uh, getting the plants off to a good start. Um, tell us a little bit about thermometers. There are different types of thermometers, and uh, uh, why they could be very useful to people that uh, really like growing their own plants.
3: Well, as you just said, you know you like to keep track of what's happening with your mat and uh, a thermostat even for your oven that you're cooking your food in. Uh, you you, whatever you set it in it's only well it's around about that temperature it's not necessarily exactly that temperature because it kicks in and kicks out as as it gets cool and when it gets too hot so a thermometer in the soil just to keep an idea of what is the temperature is it is it exactly what i set it to because you might need to adjust your 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 thermometer uh, thermostat a little bit um so soil Generally, it'll only be what's happening right now. Unlike the unit that you can hang on the wall outside, which has got a minimum maximum to tell you how, how freezing cold it was during the night and how warm it was during the day, generally for soil, it's what it is right now at this moment as you look at it. And you can get them with uh, a metal uh, sleeve to, or a, a solid plastic sleeve so that you can actually push them in the soil. I've, Unlike a normal glass thermometer, which is a bit hard to put in the soil without breaking it.
2: Yes, sure. uh, you can buy a little sort of glass bottomed one uh, for about $5. <laughs> and second time you put them in, crash. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and could I just mention that if you're a keen gardener, the use of thermometers, I think, is, is brilliant. And, and sometimes I come in and I talk about uh, the importance of what's happening in the soil and soil temperatures, and I've got a, a number of soil thermometers. And so there is a container sitting in the sun, and if you put one thermometer in the middle of your container and another one on the edge uh, you'll be surprised at the difference in temperature. And it's those kind of little uh, trials you can carry out yourself if, if you want to. And one of the best things I ever did, Philip, was get your thermometers. And, and uh, I was looking at the advantage of shade, shading in particular tomatoes. And I carried out a whole series of, of experiments of um, tomatoes in full sun, tomatoes in full sun with mulch and tomatoes in full sun with mulch and shade. And the information that came out of that is just absolutely brilliant. And you can just work your own information and learn just so much from those particular areas. But uh, enough of, of that particular area. Let's just... Quickly- I, I,
3: I, yeah, yep, I go was ahead. going to say too that one of the issues and what you raised there is, is really great and overlooked by many people is sunlight Mm -hmm. Um, where you've got your heat mats or where you've got your seedling trays and plants um, in those early uh, stages is very important to get some sunlight even if it's for a few hours a day because what will happen is that if they don't get a good lot of sunlight they will tend to chase looking for 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 sunlight And so they put all their energy into the top part of the plant. And then you think, oh, yes, that plant looks really, really nice. And when you pull it out, there's no roots. And the plant says, well, look, I can't do both. You know, give me a break. Um, I I, want to chase the light, but I, I can't deal with the roots. So by giving it, you know, a few hours of good quality sunlight per day, it will then still be able to grow good roots. And then you won't have that problem with and falling over when you go and plant
2: what about shade cloth many people have got a little mini greenhouse a small greenhouse and uh, mm. lovely during winter but during summer gets pretty hot what kind what what shade factor should you have over a mini shade house a glass uh, house
3: look, i i i still tend to suggest no more than 50 percent um and also to stick to white um Because today shade cloth is made what they call monofilament, like fishing line. In in the past, it was made from a flat fabric um, material. So now, if you use a white shade cloth, fifty percent, when the light comes in, it will give you that fifty percent shade, but it hits off of the um, thread and will actually spread the light. Underneath, so you get a more even light, but not direct, so I would still stick to fifty percent and try and use white,
2: because time will beat us uh, the medias that you can use and you can buy good quality potting mix, but uh, uh, smart gardeners have figured out that sometimes uh, by increasing the amount of air in a potting mix, uh, you can increase uh, uh, the the expectation and and the growth from a plant, uh, things such as perlite. Just quickly, what's perlite and why is it valuable?
3: Uh, perlite's a natural rock um, that is uh, been exposed to extreme heat, like around eight nine hundred degrees heat, and it uh, expands like uh, popcorn. And it it's a very clean material, and you can put it in your potting mix to open up the potting mix to uh, allow more air porosity in in the soil and so the roots can move around a little bit more it also holds on to a little bit of moisture as well so it will maintain a bit of uh, moisture level within the pot as well and so uh, again there's a there's the issue of the size of the perlite and most of the stuff that's in the garden center is a fairly coarse one and you know if you're dealing with small little tubes and pots it tends to be a little bit big um, but there are different grades from fine through to medium coarse and then premium coarse which is more the hydroponic type stuff that are used in channels for put inside the soil.
2: What's the difference between perlite and vermiculite?
3: Okay vermiculite again it's a natural rock same, same process expanded through heat and um, tends to be uh, there are some people that do use them Use it in the soil. Very rare. Mostly, it's used on top uh, of um, seed trays and plants. It it has two purposes. It it stops the top of the soil drying out where your seeds are germinating. But it also stops uh, the impact from uh, irrigation, from sprinklers and and, uh, misters and things like that, from from compacting the soil where the seeds are. So it just keeps it a little bit more open, but keeps the moisture there as
2: well. Philip, I've got a whole series of questions. I'm only halfway through it, so I reckon (laughs) I'm going to have to wait wait for another occasion and uh, you're going to have to sort of return if you don't mind. Yeah, that's good.
0: We'd love to have all you right. back, Philip, if you wouldn't mind. But just a couple of quick questions on the text line. Uh, texter asks, how long does the heat pad need to be on and how long do they last?
3: Uh, they, 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 well, if you look after them, they last quite well. And if they've got a thermostat on them, then they will go off when they get to the temperature and back on. So it's on, off, on, off all the time and, and a double tray. For example, it's only using 40 watts of power, so it's not an awful lot. If you don't have a thermostat, then I would probably put it on a timer and turn it off at 10 o'clock in the morning and turn it back on at 4.30
0: in the afternoon. afternoon. a- yep. And uh, the texter also asks, can they be used to speed up or to have a winter crop of tomatoes, given that tomatoes, we've talked about the magic 16 uh, degrees of soil temperature.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> Get out there and do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, look, i have to say to you that someone has sent a text through saying Philip Smolt is every bit as good as John Lamb is praising him, and better yet, one, no, no one cannot <laughs> more highly recommend him and his services. So there you go. Uh, no, 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 not, no. I should- John.
3: John's miles
2: in front of me. <laughs> no, no. Well, for, well, I, I mean, I've relied on Philip very much. For a lot of my background knowledge on chemicals, and we haven't looked at chemicals there. But uh, and Philip runs uh, an independent horticultural supply. It's a mo. It's unusual. He he, he's, he started up a business and looking at things that are not available in garden centres, and 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 has provided a service for what I call the hobbyist gardener, the person who's serious about gardening. And uh, so you'll find uh, he's. Uh, readily available on the web. But you'll also find the things that Philip is talking about are usually readily available online. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are alternatives to the garden centres. I'm not downgrading the the garden centres, but there's a need out there. And I think Philip is providing (laughs) uh, and looking after that need. So thank you, Philip.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Philip. We look forward to having you back on again soon. Uh, Philip Smolt, independent horticultural product supplier. And thank you to the texter who sent through a beautiful picture of um, the garden right now, of that texture is out in the garden listening to the radio with two beautiful 40 centimetre hanging baskets of pansies. If you let me know what your name is and give me permission, I'll, I'll retweet that later because it's absolutely beautiful. But we're going to get into your talk back Gardening calls, so call in now on 1300 222 891. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on
1: ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: If I could characterise today's questions with two words, I think it's going to be falling off. We'll go to Northfield now. Kumar has a cherry tree. Now, Kumar, all the buds dropped last year. How are they doing this year?
1: Good morning to both of you. Yeah, um, This year uh, they haven't started uh, appearing yet, Uh, probably probably about a month or so to go. Uh, I'm a bit worried whether it will happen this year too. Uh, but I can't say for sure at this stage because I haven't seen them coming out yet in my tree.
2: Right. Could I suggest... We need to just take a look at what actually happened. So I presume last year the cherry tree flowered and you got tiny little uh, cherries on them and they all dropped off.
1: That's right, except for three or four, which uh, lasted all until uh, until we ripened up and uh, they were quite good to eat. Amazingly tasty, yeah. But... uh,
2: It's like a naughty little teenager. Um, (laughs) It's it's juvenile. You've got a tree which is relatively young, three or four years old, and so it's still growing. And within the plant, there are hormones for growth and there are hormones for fruit, and uh, it wants to grow. And so the hormones for growth override the ones for fruit. And even though it flowers, and you'll find that uh, probably this year it'll flower and it'll form lots of little fruits and probably half of those will drop off, and, but some will stay on. That's uh, providing, of course, that it's pollinated. Now, if you've got a cherry, do you know what variety it is, Kuma?
1: It's a Stella. Okay,
2: that's good because that's self-pollinating. Yes. Uh, otherwise, if you don't have uh, it pollinated by uh, a different type of different variety, then it won't set. Uh, and so that's important you've got your pollination there and sometimes you'll find if you get inclement weather when the flowers are open, the bees are not active and so they drop mm-hmm. off as well. So I think just be patient, don't overstimulate the plant with too much animal manure or nitrogen fertilizer. And I would suggest probably uh, uh, using just a good balanced fertiliser that's for used for roses and put on a, a small quantity in spring. And most important, put some on very early in autumn. That's the most oh. critical time to fertilise fruit trees. And uh, don't put on a lot, just put on. Uh, for a small tree, you may only put on a cupful of a uh, chicken manure pallet for roses in autumn and that just helps it uh, build up its the right kind of nutrients. So when it opens its flowers in springtime, it's got the energy uh, to be able to hold on to the uh, the fruits. And uh, hopefully, you've got the right balance of hormones. Okay,
3: thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Kumar. Sounds like it's a bit of patience needed in relation to your cherry tree. Uh, Jill in Fullerton. I'm saying it falling off mandarin leaves falling off a nine-year-old tree. You're joking. Hi, Jill. <laughs> hello
4: hi how are you um yeah we've got this tree and we absolutely love the tree because it's always been lush and produces lots of fruit and this year it produced heaps and heaps we had to actually hold it up with broomsticks and things the branches so they wouldn't snap off but um now the uh, leaves are all yellow and well, most of the leaves are yellow with brown blotches on them and they're all falling off and we're worried that the We've killed it by letting it produce so much fruit.
2: Yes, I think you've identified the problem. It's saying, oh, I'm exhausted. It oh. put on a very heavy crop, and so it uses a tremendous amount of energy. And uh, yeah. the fact that uh, the leaves are yellow now is an indication because in autumn, uh, fruit trees spend a lot of time Gathering energy, and still, they stop growing in autumn, late autumn. And mm. instead of growing and producing new growth, they're storing energy for springtime to get them through winter and, and springtime. And if you've got anybody that's got a citrus with yellow leaves, it means you haven't fertilised enough in autumn. <laughs> So make a note. Uh Uh, But uh, okay, I think you've just got a a plant that's been uh, it's worked hard for you. It's now exhausted and it's saying uh, I need a bit of a rest. So you won't get very Uh much in the way of fruit this time. So the important thing is to get it back into good health with citrus, Uh putting on uh, a small amount of fertiliser on a regular basis. So from about uh, in September put on and, and work out how much fertilizer you want to put on your tree over twelve months it might be you 're going to put on if it 's a big tree you might say i 'm going to put on uh, three kilograms of, uh, of of chicken manure pellets um, uh, over twelve months and divide that up into four and and put that on at four t- different times, starting off in spring and then probably just before Christmas and then uh, late summer and then early autumn so put on a little bit often, I think you'll get your tree back into good nutrition. Mm -hmm. The important thing then is to mulch it, and then water it regularly during the warm weather. Mm
4: -hmm. And um, because it's sort of gone a bit gangly, when's the best time to try and get it back into like a good shape?
2: Well, you're not going to get much in the way of fruit this year, so I would suggest that probably wait until September, and at that stage, Mm -hmm. prune it back and cut it back to whatever size you want. And bear in mind, if you cut it back hard, it'll come into strong, vigorous growth. When that vigorous growth is uh, uh, probably 10 or 15 or 20 centimetres long, take the tips of those out. So um, prune hard now and light prune probably early summer, and that will get it back into shape.
0: Okay, that's terrific. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jill. Uh, good luck with that. Jane from Adelaide is up next. Not so much falling off this time, but two small standard lily pillies, one flourishing, the other brown leaves almost dead in pots. Jane, what's happening to one and not the other?
4: Uh, yeah, uh, hi there. And uh, Now, listen, um, I've got two, two lily pillies, both standards, both um, a year old. Um, 60 centimeters high, say morning sun. Now, in pots, um, in, in balls, you know, standard. One is thriving, beautiful, healthy. But its brother, sister plant, its leaves are well all brown, all brown. Not one leaf has fallen. Um, uh, if you scrape the the, 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 uh, the, 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 if you scrape the trunk, however, if you scrape the trunk, it, it's a lovely, nice green. Um, beautiful green and and i tell you what one more thing um the 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 leaves are are not crispy they're sort of just soft but all the same color all brown
2: all gone brown brown on leaves is a good indicator of wet feet and there are lots of other reasons for brown leaves but uh, considering it's in a container and we've had wet conditions, I'd put my money on it's got wet feet. Uh, earlier on we were talking about uh, uh, problems uh, with wet feet and was it a camellia in uh, a, a container. Are, are you able to tip this plant over and uh, yes, take yes, the pot out? It, yes. Well, do the yes, same that's thing. That's a good idea. Righto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, take the container off the root ball and have a look at the roots and first of all is the drainage hole blocked and then take a look at the colour of the roots and they should be a nice uh, browny colour a a variation on a brown but towards dark brown and if you find that they are black And if you find that the roots, if you look at the roots, the ends of the roots, they're all soft, and they've got little spears on the end of them. That's typical of a a rhizotonia, a root rot you've got there. And that's because the roots are uh, just not getting enough air, and they're getting too much water. And what's actually happening, uh, Deb, is is that uh, the, the pot has got the potting mix there, and The water is is sticking onto the particles and in between the particles you've got lots of air and that air is flowing there and it's just as important uh, to the plant, air is just as important uh, as the moisture. And if you've got too much, if poor drainage, uh, all the little air spaces fill up, there's no air and so the plant re- reacts, and one of the first uh, indicators is the leaves often go brown around the edges or sometimes black around the edges. But uh, I think, uh, Jane, have a good look at the root system, and the root system will explain a lot of what's... John? Uh, yeah.
4: John, is it salvageable, dear? It oh, yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely.
4: So you basically just... So what would... So how do you just just re- well, aerate
2: the root system? Wh- well, what I would do is, uh, if you find that the root system is, is not as healthy as it should be, I would take the plant and put it in the shade. But when you take it, don't put the plant back in its container. Leave it so that uh, it, the roots are exposed. And that way, the root system dries out. If you put the plant back in the container, uh, it'll it'll take weeks to dry out. If you leave the pot off, it'll dry out very very quickly and you get a windy day, so that wait until the, the potting mix dries out, then put it back in its container, and then uh, you need to be very, very careful. Stay away from fertilisers. I would use one of the seaweed extracts and add that to the water when you do water it, but don't overwater it, and if you've got good drainage, uh, you, the the excess water should go out the drainage hole. Oh, ter-
4: terrific. I'll add this to my project.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Jane. Great question. Very interesting technique there, John, and great things to look out for um let's now go to norwood now margaret you want to know when to pick globe artichokes
4: yes correct it's
0: the first time i've grown them a fantastic huge enormous plant
4: and they're starting to come up now and they're the biggest ones about you know tennis balls slightly bigger how do i know when to pick them
2: the little globe artichokes the ones where they've got yes. little sort of funny little root systems are we talking yeah. about Oh no, no, no I'm, I'm thinking. No, I'm thinking of the Jerusalem artichokes. Yeah. Your, your globes, right? Oh, okay. So they would have uh, formed probably uh, back during the growing season, and you haven't harvested them and Normally, you would harvest them probably in autumn.
4: Um, well, well, they've only just produced the fruit.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes they come out like brown's cows. So okay, just yeah. uh, take them. Um, so when they're big enough uh, to, to uh, you think that they're big enough to eat. Um, yeah, just watch them to grow, and they'll keep on growing, and then they'll stop growing. And that stage, when they've stopped growing, they've sort of said, that's how that—that's the size we're going to be. Harvest them then, because if they stop growing and you leave them there, they get hard, and, and, and they're not very, right. very edible at, at that stage. So just use the size of the plant as an indicator, and when you reckon it's up to the size to eat, eat it.
4: So is the size to eat, what, a softball size, or...?
2: Oh well, it depends on how much uh, nutrient you're giving and things like that. So I mean, uh, uh, take a look at, next time you go to the green grocer's shop. Go and have a look at the size of their their plants. Wow. That'll that'll give you oh, an indicator. But I mean, that, that, they can have varieties that have got big plants, and, and you've got uh, others that have got smaller plants. So I can't t- tell you it's got to be a particular size. If you watch its growth, it will keep on. Gro- the, the 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 little globes will keep on growing, and then they'll stop. And when they stop growing, that means that they're not going to grow anymore. Eat them.
0: Take them off. OK, thank you very much. Thanks, Margaret. Sound very delicious there. We will talk to Alison, Gail and Julia after we catch up very quickly with Rob Andrew Arthur, who's former chair of Open Gardens, about the season which commences today. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: And it is early spring for Open Gardens SA because the first garden for the season is actually opening this weekend, even though we're at the end of winter. And uh, let's look at the season ahead. Rob Andrew Arthur is the former chairperson of Open Gardens SA. Good morning, Rob.
1: Good morning, Deb and John. How are you?
0: Wonderful, thank you. We'll ask you about the um, beautiful garden that's open on this weekend in a few moments, but it's so good to hear that COVID hasn't stopped this season of open gardens. <laughs> Thank
1: goodness, no, no, we're um, up and running because most of our, I mean, all of our activities out in the garden, the Department of Health have said, no, that's an essential uh, thing to do for, for well-being. so we, we're up and running and we're actually able to have people into the gardens around Adelaide and uh, South Australia.
0: And how is the spring season looking ahead in terms of people being involved in the scheme this year, willing to show off their gardens to the public?
1: (laughs) No, uh, we've got a really good season, actually. We've got a fairly full season in spring. Uh, We've got some new wins and we've got some um, perennial favourites coming back into the scheme, which is fantastic.
0: Are you always looking for new home gardeners to be a part of Open Gardens SA?
1: We are, we are. I mean, obviously, we w- we want to keep the uh, the whole scheme fresh and new, and and you know, obviously, showcase anyone who's got a, a garden that, that that's worthy of viewing. Uh, our criteria is that we we like to expect that there's twenty to a half an hour of uh, of uh, time to be able to wander around the garden. So that's that's our criteria for selecting a garden.
2: Rob, the Open Garden Scheme has been running for a number of years. and I like taking a look at what's happening. Is there a change in the type of garden that's coming forward now? And are gardeners looking for things which are different?
1: You're absolutely 100% right, John. Um, we're finding that, I mean, we almost have two categories. Uh, we, we have the, the really lovely gardens where you can take grandma have a nice cup of tea and you know everyone goes home happy sort of thing and then there's the, the whole new wave of people um younger people that are wanting to know about productive gardens and they're sort of saying you know how did you grow this how does this work you know what do you put in there and what, when do I plant this so it's there is actually a whole new wave of people coming in and wanting to look at um, more productive gardens
2: Gardeners are very proud of what they've done and uh, many gardeners will spend a lifetime building a wonderful landscape and then uh, open it up and allow people to come in. But there are also those that uh, have got relatively small gardens, just a normal block and uh, what yes. they've done is incredible and they think oh well my garden just doesn't compare with one of those beautiful hills gardens but uh, presumably that's not what it's that's about what, that, uh, uh, yeah and people are looking yeah. for that
1: we did a great um opening last year it was called the henley gardens and it was five neighbors that all opened and that like you say, they had smaller gardens and all productive and they, they actually used to share all their produce between the five gardens. And so we actually opened all five mm-hmm. a, a, as a one opening and it was incredibly well attended and everyone had a great time, you know, wandering from garden to garden and getting tips and uh, ideas and, and and that whole collective movement was actually quite exciting.
0: Well, today's garden is the first one for the season. It's the Metzger Garden, 35 Garrard Crescent in Stirling. It's open today and tomorrow from 10 until half past four. Perfect day for people to head out and go and see it, Rob. So what can they expect if they're heading into the hills?
1: This one is a lovely mature garden. It's actually like a rainforest. So the the owner has planted over a number of years um, over 80 tree ferns in the garden, and there's a stream running through it, and camellias, and quite large, uh, do you say clivias or claviers, whichever department you work in, um, and hellebores. So it's actually one of those really lovely woodland type gardens. So it's nice to wander around.
0: Well. Well, if you want to do it, I'll give you the address again. It's 35 Garrard Crescent in Stirling. Today and tomorrow from 10 until half past four. We're so glad that Open Gardens SA is up and running for the season, Rob. And thank you very much for joining us and telling us about it this morning.
1: No, thank you. Look forward to seeing you all there.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Rob. Rob Andrew yeah. Arthur, former chair of the Open Gardens SA. And if you'd like to become involved with it, the easiest way is always to go online. Just look at Open Gardens SA. All the information is there. They've got a contact us um, section there. If you have a garden that you think people might be interested in in seeing and as we heard it's not about having the most beautiful garden it can be just about using your space very well having a productive garden it's about different ideas it's
2: twofold i think it's those that have got a garden and they're very proud of it and so they would like to share what they've done with others but then there are those that are gardeners and want more information Mm -hmm. about gardening and they can go and get inspiration so well done open garden scheme.
0: Wonderful. Well, let's go now to Mount George. Alison wants some advice on mulch. Welcome, Alison.
5: Hello.
2: What do you want to know about mulch, Alison?
0: Well, we've had a um, delivery of mulch that's
5: come from a tree in the
0: street. Um, so it's that was gum tree. We lost you there for a second. Gum tree leaf matter. Yes, that's ah. right. Yes. yes.
5: yeah. So it's mulch that's got quite a lot of gum leaves in it. I'm wondering whether I can use that on my garden, um, particularly around roses and those sorts of things, and also if I can, when would be the time to start to spread that?
2: Every leaf is valuable, so don't waste it. But the important thing is if you've got uh, particularly eucalypt material or pine material, uh, you don't put it on the garden straight away. There are certain chemicals in the leaves and they will leach out and some of them have a, an inhibiting factor uh, that prevents other things from growing. So what I'd suggest is uh, put it in a pile and leave it there and you can speed up the operation of getting it back into a form that you can use on the garden by, by turning it over. How big's the pile there, Alison? It's
5: quite large, um, so it was probably <laughs> a, <laughs> uh, it was a truck truckload, basically. Oh, righto. Um, so it's, yeah,
2: it's very Well, okay, if you've got a pile there, wait for a nice uh, warm, sunny day and get a fork uh, out there and, 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 uh, and just move it from one spot to another and just turning it over aerates it and helps speed up the, uh, the uh, degradation of the material so that it's in a usable form. And if you can sure. mo- do that, I would suggest that probably leave it for at least uh, four, five, even six weeks before you start using it and And okay. then uh, you might find that the the top part of the heap is is dried out, and you can use that and you can use it on anywhere in the garden uh, on your roses on your flowering plants um, you probably wouldn 't put it on vegetables it 's a bit chunky for that, and you 're much better using a soft mulch in that situation but yeah it 's valuable just uh, age it before you use it
5: okay, no problem, thank you, and in terms of the soil. Um, I think I read somewhere that uh, it's better to let the soil warm up a little bit before mulching. Is that correct?
2: Uh, sorry, let the. I, I missed that one.
5: It, uh, I think I read somewhere that with with the mulching, it's better to let the soil warm up a Bit before mulching on top
2: of it? I think that's good advice, yeah. yeah the, okay. the ground is pretty warm cool at the moment, and if you let that just warm up naturally and put your mulch on, then it acts like a little blanket and keeps it nice and warm.
0: Lovely. Thanks. Great, thank Th- you very much. Thanks, Alison. Enjoy that mulch on the garden. Gail is in North Haven. Now, Gail, you've actually got a question about a school at Hectorville, is that right? Yes, my
4: school's at um, Heckfield, Good morning. And um, we pruned the roses in about late June and they're flowering again beautifully and when, I'm not sure when to ask for them to be pruned again.
2: Oh, goodness. You say that they have... Uh, do you know how long ago they were pruned?
4: Late June.
2: Late June. Okay. Well, that should fix them. And then they're starting to flower now. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, enjoy and, yes, uh, we are. What a, a lot <laughs> of kids people, are too. All right. Well, what I would suggest if you wanted to is uh, when you've got a, a nice big strong uh, branch and it's got uh, a bunch of flowers on the end, if you cut it and enjoy it, take it inside, let the kids enjoy it and sniff it and uh, poke it, if you uh, deadhead uh, or basically take the the flower heads off during the growing season. That's all you really need to do, and uh, that just keeps it in in trim. But in terms of a major pruning, it won't need any further pruning until next winter. If you find that there are one or two branches that get too long, they're out of kilter with the rest of the canopy, you can cut those back, but don't give it a short back and sides.
4: Okay, and I heard you're talking about the soil temperatures. Mm. When when's the best indication to turn on your irrigation system on uh, the on the side garden?
2: Right, I'd be using your finger and thumb and getting out there and saying, uh, or get a little trowel and yeah. when uh, go down ten centimetres, and if the top ten centimetres are dry, uh, that's the time. Probably to consider putting on your irrigation, but it depends on. Uh, how, I mean, it would change whether it's a vegetable or whether it's a tree. So, no, a tree. they're a
4: combination of the roses and some small shrubs.
2: Right. Oh well. Okay. Well, their main root system is in that 10 to 20 centimetre area. So if you mm. go down 10 centimetres and it's dry, start watering. Because if you go down 20 centimetres and it's dry, your plant's in trouble. So, exactly. but, but I would suspect, okay. I mean, soil profiles at the moment are almost saturated. There's wonderful moisture. Gardeners will t- uh, uh, farmers will tell you, you know, it, we're headed towards a potential for a wonderful season simply because the soil profile is full of moisture. Mm-hmm. And that will take considerable time to dry out. So it probably will be uh, maybe end of September Uh, early October many people won't uh, put their irrigation systems on but there are other times when you've got lots of plants close together they'll use up the moisture so you'll need to start watering earlier.
0: And when to water is very much like how much to water John you've really got to as you said use your hands and and judge for yourself and get to know how your garden is stressed when the right time to put it on is, it's really something that you can't give that advice over the, the air about. that's spot um, on. Gail, good luck with that. Thank you very much for the call. Off to McLaren Vale now. Now, Julia is back to falling off. we have got your finger lime in a pot over a year old and the leaves are dropping off, Julia. Is this right?
5: Yes, that's correct. I started with, uh, good morning Deb and John, I started with um, uh, using um, citrus Uh, potting mix and I've added a little bit of uh, diluted worm juice a couple of times but it's very unhappy. Uh, It actually produced about five or six really nice finger lines initially and then it just sort of fell to pieces after that. I'm wondering if it needs to be kept warmer. It's on a a veranda but it's right on the edge of the veranda and gets uh, most of the weather
2: quite possibly um, we need to take a look at those leaves is it the old leaves only that are going yellow or what's happening well, with the, are, the new branch the new leaves
5: well there are no new leaves it's just it, it, the, the, store, the the stems are still very green and it has about six little leaves which it's had most of the winter time but hasn't really altered uh, over the winter period, right. and i haven 't seen any new
2: growth at all well they and would slightly normally be, browned. yeah, they would normally grow in a much warmer climate than south australia 's winter That's but uh, true. Uh, that uh, so I would just look after them it 's quite likely, it 's just the fact that they 're cold if it 's in a container, uh, just check the drainage holes. <laughs> and make sure they're operational. And uh, if you, uh, again, get out there and uh, every uh, once a week get out there and just feel the top two or three centimetres. Get your finger and thumb and and rub it there. And if it's all muddy, uh, you know they're getting too much water um, and you might have to sort of give them some protection so they're not getting all of the rain that falls. But I suspect it's just cold. At this stage, stay away from any kind of a fertiliser. And when it comes around to its first watering, which may be a few weeks away, uh, add some seaweed or fish material uh, as a soil stimulant. And what you're trying to do is stimulate the soil microbes into activity. And if you can get them active, they'll actually look after getting the first lot of nutrients into the plant.
0: Good. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Julia, for the call. Lovely to hear from you. We'll pick up some more calls in just a moment. But I have got an ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away. If you haven't won anything from us in the last month, then call now on 1300 222 891. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: And congratulations to Steve from Tarawi who has won the magazine prize this week. We'll take one last call, I think, from Russell in Salisbury East. Now, thank goodness it's not a falling off question, Russell. <laughs> you just want some advice on tip pruning your mandarins?
3: Uh, hi, jo- uh, John, Deb. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you uh, uh, advised uh, someone with a lemon tree that if they tip pruned it, they would get another flower and another fruit.
2: Does that apply to mandarin trees as well? Uh, It does, but not to the same extent. Lemons have got that ability uh, to uh, flower uh, profusely, and every time you get a a new growth, it'll flower at the end of it. Mandis, probably depending on the variety of it, uh, you'll find that uh, it only has one uh, main crop for the season. So I would uh, suggest that probably uh, you wait until uh, you've harvested your crop and you uh, trim it back then and that's the best time to do it and shape it up at that particular stage uh, and I don't think that uh, pr- pr- pruning it often is going to give you uh, uh, mandis out of season.
3: The, uh, when we uh, bought this tree, it was about, it's about four or five years old now, uh, It said that it crops twice a year. Well, there um, we
2: are. Okay. <laughs> that just, uh, as I say, a lot depends on the variety you've got. So if it's, it crops twice a year, you trim it twice a year. Enjoy the harvest, trim and let it grow and another crop comes, enjoy, trim and away you go. Sounds good. Thanks very
0: much, John. <laughs> thanks, Russell. Enjoy those, mandies, And thanks to everybody for your calls this morning. Lovely text from Lisa. Um, I couldn't agree with her more with a beautiful picture of a posy of flowers picked from her garden saying, I was so thrilled the other day as I wandered through our garden and saw so many beautiful flowers. It truly evoked a feeling of spring to my spirit. I love having fresh flowers in the centre of the table. When I sit, eat or enjoy a cuppa, they make me feel content. Me too, Lisa. I couldn't agree more. And actually... get back to me, if you don't mind, I will retweet that posy when I post our Talk Back Gardening podcast this morning. Now, John, you had a question about Confidor last week and you were going to do some research on it.
2: Yes, it was a couple of weeks ago and we didn't fit it in last week, but uh, uh, people are concerned because Confidor is an insecticide and it's unusual in its systemic and there are not other systemic insecticides available to home gardeners. And So when it was taken off the market, uh, and what happened is uh, one of the major chains, it was Bunnings, decided that they are not going to sell Confidore anymore from a marketing point of view. And uh, so Yates, who were the distributors of Confidore tablets to home gardeners, uh, found out that, uh, that they couldn't access a the supply. There wasn't enough for home gardeners, so the company who makes Confidor stopped Making home garden supplies, and then all hell broke loose, and the gardener sort of said, "We want Confidor, we want Confidor." Uh, and so Bayer went back, and Bayer, who makes it have now got Bayer uh, Confidor tablets, so you can buy Confidor tablets. And then there are a couple of other companies, Rich Grow, have got Confidor uh, as uh, it's not called Confidor; it, it's called uh, uh, Bug Killer but it's the active ingredient is, is still there. And so uh, that's as a granule, and there's Searles. That's a Queensland company in some of the garden centres, but they make uh, uh, what they call congard. Congard, again, the active ingredient is, is imidacloprid. Now, just be aware that imidacloprid is brilliant as an insecticide, but you need to be aware that it can have a very serious effect on bees. It's systemic, and if the plant... Produces a flower and opens up. The confidor will get into the pollen, and if a bird, uh, if a bee takes the pollen, yeah. it not only gets affected as, the, as a bee, it takes the pollen back to the hive and also affects uh, the 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 hive. So uh, you need to read the directions and use it only uh, on non-flowering plants. And uh, there are times when you need uh, a. A chemical, you know, that that will do that. So, and I'm hoping to get a catcher, Hogan Dawn, who's just a wonderful authority on bees. And I had hoped I'd have her on today's program, but that didn't happen. So I'll see if I can't get a catcher onto the program very, very soon. And we'll talk about the importance of bees and how we can protect bees and still use fungicides and insecticides.
0: Mm, no, she's a wonderful source of information about bees, no doubt about it. Well, I know where you're going to be today, John, looking out the window. It's a beautiful day to be in the garden.
2: Yes, I'm going to uh, raid my little mini glass house and uh, the cuttings that I took back in autumn, I'll be potting on and putting them back in the little glass house because it's heated. Uh, that's the fun of gardening. And so until next week, I'll say good gardening.